the book of Deuteronomy. Again, we're going to begin in verse 15. We're just going to read through the verse 18. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil. And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away, and worship other gods, and serve them, I denounce unto you this day, that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passeth over Jordan to go to possess it. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts today as we consider this simple passage and this phrase that we find in verse 15. We ask, dear God, that you would fill me with your spirit. I'm asking that, Lord, you would just do a work in my life. May you just literally bring into focus those things you'd have me to share and to say, Lord, may I not be scatterbrained, if you will, but Lord, may my mind be focused on you, your word, and the message you'd have proclaimed. Fill me with your Holy Ghost, and Father, empower me this morning. And Lord, may you just be with every listening ear, and may we too be, uh, every listening ear be anointed, that they may hear the word of God, and may the word of God be planted deep in our hearts, and may you just put a hedge about us that the devil would not be able to come and steal away the word. Father, do this in our hearts and our lives. Transform and change us. Use it in a way that, Lord, will make a difference, not only today, but into the future. And Lord, may you be glorified in everything that's said and done this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, Israel had entered Egypt and spent 430 years there. Moses bursts on the scene with divine authority and with a supernatural power. He speaks on behalf of God, and he demands that Pharaoh lets God's people go. Of course, a battle of the wills ensues, and after nine plagues, God sends the destroyer. We read over in Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord." And the blood shall be upon you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This tenth and final plague would break Pharaoh's back. And within hours, the children of Israel were exiting Egypt. God begins to lead and to guide his people now. For in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 through 22, we read, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God was guiding and directing these Israelites They needed only look to the sky and they could see the pillar of fire at night. They could see the pillar of cloud during the day. And as it moved, they moved. They simply followed God. 
the victory they experienced. Exiting Egypt that day would be short-lived because Pharaoh would once again harden his heart and he would vow to recapture his workforce. And in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5, it says, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? All of a sudden, reality started hitting. The hurt and the heartache that had come as a result of the firstborn being lost, that started to subside. And now they found that Israel was still in the wilderness fleeing. And they thought to themselves, hey, listen, we're going to go back and get them and bring them back to Egypt to do the work that they were supposed to be doing all along. Oh, we were emotionally moved. And as a result, we let them go. But now we see that they're going up, uh, they're going to run right into the Red Sea. Let's go get them. Let's bring them back. And if they fight us, we will fight them. But one way or the other, they're coming back because they belong here in Egypt. Boy, I'll tell you what, old Pharaoh, he cornered the people. He expected a full surrender, but God had other plans. And in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shew to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Moses is commanded now to pick up the rod and to stretch forth his hand. We read in Exodus chapter 14, verse 16, But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And in verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, There that rod was, and there that hand was over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites, of course, would escape. There they went through the Red Sea on dry ground. It's so funny, isn't it? How so many people have tried to Try to explain how that happened without God. Well, of course, we know that the Red Sea during that time of the year was only a couple of inches deep. Well, I don't know about you, but I've seen a good storm come through my neighborhood and saturate my ground, and I couldn't cut my grass for a whole day. Sun out, wind blowing, it didn't seem to dry the ground up that much. But boy, they, it dried up two inches of water. And it totally dried it up so they could walk through on dry ground. That's a pretty good feat already. But they forget to read the next part of the verse. Next part of the passage. It's interesting to note now that in chapter 14, verse 28, we see that after Israel safely gets across this Red Sea, that God then permits... Pharaoh and his armies to pursue them into the midst of that sea. Hold on, Exodus 14, 28 says, And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. Obviously, there was enough water to drown a whole army. 
Now, I don't understand everything that happens, but I know one thing. God is able. And I'm telling you, it wasn't two inches of water, and it wasn't just a little wind, so to speak, that just came across real casually and dried up that peninsula for that time period or that time of the year. No, God had his hand in all that thing. And can I tell you that after Israel went across on dry ground, God said, okay, come on, bring it on, Pharaoh. And into the, the sea he went along with his armies, and the walls of water crashed down and drowned a whole army. There had to be some pretty good swimmers in that army, but they didn't make it out. You can try to explain away the Red Sea incident all you want, but you can't explain the fact that a whole army passed away and died. Matter of fact, to this day, they have gone down into that that sea and they have found chariots without wheels, even as the Bible says they were, that their wheels literally came off and they were dragging those suckers across that dry ground. And there they are at the bottom of the Red Sea. God saved Israel that day. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren... I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Tell you what, when Israel came out of Egypt, Egypt was a type of the world and Egypt had them enslaved. And when they came to that Red Sea, God saved them from Egypt and from the the Egyptians. Man, I mean to tell you, the Red Sea experience represents or is a picture of salvation for you and I today. I mean, we've escaped judgment. We've been delivered from the world. We've been saved from certain death and bondage. Following this miraculous event in their lives. God would demonstrate his love and care by providing for the people. He'd share his heart and his mind by giving them the word of God even. And that land that was promised to Abraham so many years earlier was now within their grasp. It was within their reach. They needed only believe God. They needed only to exercise faith. A faith that would allow them to enter the land. Tragically, the men sent to spy out the land returned with a report highlighting the obstacles and not the opportunities. While the others focused on the giants, only Joshua and Caleb focused on God. That duo would passionately seek to persuade the rest of the crowd to turn back to God and to follow his command, to go in and take over the promised land as directed, to occupy it as God had already told them to do. But of course, majority ruled, and as a result, they were destined to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 says, But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? 
And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now when we think about that word wilderness, I don't know about you, but it paints a picture in my mind. I think about the wilderness and I think about words like barren, destitute, rugged, desert, wasteland. Listen, there was nothing pleasant about abiding in the wilderness for 40 years. As a matter of fact, 40 in the Bible represents testings. God was testing Israel. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 79. Psalm chapter 79, verse 9, or 78, verse 19, excuse me. Psalm 78, verse 19. Notice what the passage says here. The psalmist writing as he looks back in their history. Psalm 78, 19. Yea, they spoke against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Again, notice, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? They would, have, they would spend 40 years learning the answer to that question. A resounding yes. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can God provide for millions of people in a nomadic land? Again, it's interesting how it's phrased. They spake against God, implying that their faith was so weak. When they asked the question, they were questioning the authority of God, the reality of God in a sense. They were saying, we don't believe that you can do this. How can we trust you? And God says, well, I'll tell you what, let me prove it to you. And 40 years went by, and they came out going, yeah, he can do it. Do you know that wilderness represents the defeated Christian life for you and I today? We have the children of Israel that reach the Red Sea and God miraculously saves them from, their, from Egypt and saves them from Pharaoh and saves them from slavery, bondage. They come to the place where it's time to cross into the land which represents, we're going to see, the victorious Christian life, a spirit-filled, victorious life in Christ. And yet they fail to follow through, and as a result, they end up in the wilderness for 40 years, a defeated Christian life. They wander in barrenness. You and I are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been delivered from the world, from Satan, and from the slavery of sin. We now have a decision which route we will take. What road will we travel? Will we choose a victorious Christian life or will we choose a defeated one? After 40 years of wandering, after 40 years of attending funeral after funeral, after 40 years of living off of manna, God now gives them another 
chance to occupy the land that he promised them so long ago. Moses, of course, is at the end of his life now. You know that he's done pretty much everything God has asked him to do. He had done his very best to lead the children of Israel, to govern them according to the scriptures, according to the word of God. And although he wasn't permitted to enter into the promised land due to striking the rock, he had been a wonderful example of godly leadership. He now gives his final charge before all of Israel. And he stands before the nation and he says, See, speaking on behalf of God, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. And what we find then in his charge as he closes down, he spells out the conditions that govern the two distinct outcomes. The first outcome that he talks about is life and good. Life and good. He says the condition for life and good is love the Lord thy God to walk in his ways. Keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. Israelites, hear me today. Moses cries out and says, I have set before thee this day life and good. And death and evil. If you turn your heart away, if you stop listening to God, if you worship and serve other gods, the outcome will be death and evil. Those are the options. The last time Moses and the people stood before the land in anticipation of occupying it, they chose death and evil. Their hearts were turned away. They stopped listening to God. And many even worshipped and served other gods. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 through 12. We're almost to the message. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 through 12. Now these things were for our examples. To the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. You get what he's talking about? He's talking about the children of Israel. 
He goes on to say, neither murmur he as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for end samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. What he's saying is that everything that Israel experienced is to be an example to you and I. God would have us learn by their mistakes and not by our own. God supernaturally delivered them. God saved them through the Red Sea from the enemy. They found themselves on the precipice of a victorious life in the promised land, occupying a land that they themselves had not built up, but God was going to give them. Instead, they chose death and evil. And they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness as they watched loved ones and friends die off. Everyone over the age of 20 died in the wilderness during those 40 years. Millions of people passing away in the wilderness. Just as a side note, let me just say this. I was going to make a whole message of it, and I should. But I want you to think about this thought with me for a moment. What was keeping Israel from the promised land? Here it is. The death of the last person. God had promised that everyone over 20 had to die before they had entered the promised land. Now think about this thought. What are you and I in the church waiting for before Christ can come back? the last soul to be saved. Isn't that interesting? They were waiting for the last soul to die. That's what the law does, by the way. The law is about death, but grace and Jesus Christ are about life. We're waiting for the last soul to be saved, and I got thinking about this. Might you in the crowd today that are without Christ be the last one? May you be the one holding up the works? Maybe you as a believer... It could be the person that you would lead to Christ or will lead to Christ. Hey, get started doing it now so that we can get that last one saved and go to be with the Lord. But here we are now. Israel. Having to make a decision, a choice. And the Bible teaches us that they made their choices. And we see how it turned out. And when they chose death and evil, it wasn't good. How much better to choose life and good? It begins with salvation, doesn't it? It all starts there. I don't know today if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, but if you don't, you need to receive and accept Him today. 2,000 years ago, God recognized our great need and sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the only begotten, who was literally Emmanuel, God with us. And He took His place on Calvary and paid for your sin and mine. He shed His precious, perfect blood for you. And He died in your place. 
Everything begins at Calvary for the non-believer. Everything starts with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then comes the resurrection. Three days, three nights later. And that sacrifice wasn't the end. It was only a beginning. Because now he was alive. And Jesus Christ who died, was buried, now rose again, proving that he was more than a mere man. He was God-man. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And that he's able to save the worst and most vile sinner of all. Aren't you glad this isn't COVID season after that last spit that flew? See that just... Any of you feel that in the first row? No? Okay. Just checking. But he died for you and he paid for your sin. It all begins at the cross. It begins with salvation. Are you saved? Do you know Christ is your Savior today? Because if you do, you have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. And it is the choice that Moses sets before the children of Israel. I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. It's not hard to choose death and evil. It's simple. Have nothing to do with God. Turn your heart away. Stop listening to Him. Pay no attention to God. Don't give Him His just desert or His due. Don't recognize Him as God creator. Don't worship Him. Don't serve Him. Don't allow Him to be part of your thoughts every day. Turn your heart away. Stop listening to Him. And you know what the outcome will be? The natural outcome will be worshiping and serving other gods. Death and evil. That's a decision that you and I will have to make as believers. Every day we make a decision. Hold on. Or we can choose life and good. We can choose life and good. The condition, love the Lord thy God. Walk in His ways. Keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments. There it is, life and good. What do you want for your life? What do you want for the life of your family? What do you want for your grandchildren? What do you want for your nation? What do you want for your world? I want life and good, and I think you do too. But if we're going to experience life and good, then we need to have a love for both God and His Word then. When it's all said and done, I look at this and I set that Bible. Let's just set that Bible up here. And when I, I think about this particular, we'll read it one more time. I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. Here's what I see today in your life and mine. Death and evil. I'll just leave it sit right there. That's where it sits. I don't open it up. Oh, it might be in the back seat of my car between 
Sunday to Sunday. It might be sitting on a nightstand beside my bed. But it doesn't open. I don't hold it in my hand. I don't take it in my eye gate. I don't allow it to saturate my heart. No, instead, I turn my heart away. I stop listening to God because I don't open it. And may I say today that honestly, that this is God's word, right? This is God speaking to humanity. There is no way you can tell me what God has told you unless it comes through this book, the Word of God. This idea that you can just glean from God yourself. I don't need God's Word. He speaks to me personally. Let me tell you something. If you're hearing a voice, my friend, and it don't line up with this book, it isn't God's voice. I'll guarantee you that much. And yet we have a generation today being raised and we have a generation that has gone already before even those that are my age that have neglected the Word of God but still claim to be so ultra-spiritual. God speaks to me. We have an agreement. You have chosen death and evil. Because you cannot have life and good without the Word of God. You can't. It's impossible. Someone says, you don't understand. I speak in tongues and I got all this stuff going with God. I don't spend much time in the Bible, but man, me and God are tight. My friend, he says, turn your heart away. This is the condition for death and evil. Turn your heart away. Stop listening to God. Worship and serve other gods. If you aren't, you can't listen to God outside of the Word of God. Well, I listen to preaching. That's fine. That's an element of the Word of God getting to your heart. But my friend, that's not enough to keep you going in the right direction. You better make sure you're in the Bible. Then again, you choose to hold this book, to pick it up and to open its pages, to read it and to take it in, to soak it up. That's choosing life and good. That's choosing life and good. He says simply, love the Lord thy God, walk in His ways. What does that mean, to walk in His ways? What's it mean to walk in His ways? I mean, we watch a little kid with his daddy and we say, man, that little kid looks just like his daddy. What are we saying? He walks like his daddy. He moves like his daddy. He looks like his daddy. And it's obvious. We say those things and we don't think a thing of it, but hold on. He says, walk in my ways. Walk in my ways. What's he saying? You need to recognize Christ and you need to see how he walked and how he lived and how he thought and how he responded. That should be us. And where do we learn those things? in this book, the Word of God. And then we apply them to our life. You say, well, walking in His ways. I do pretty good in some things. Okay. Remember, it's a choice we're making. What's it going to be? You make the decision. You've been saved? Good. But you have a choice to make. A choice between life and good and death and evil. Every day of your life, we make that decision. Let me ask you this. 
Is there any part of the Bible you choose not to believe or practice? Is there any part of the Bible that you choose not to believe or practice? It's funny how, it's not funny, it's tragic, and we're all guilty of this to some degree, how we emphasize certain parts far beyond other parts, and how we dismiss certain parts, but we really emphasize others. You know, well, I, I know what that says, but yeah, that's a little bit, I don't, I'm not, that's not me. Man, what, what choice are you making? I mean, if life and good is a direct result of his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments being fulfilled in your life, how can we dismiss certain ones and say, well, those ones don't matter to me? All that matters are the ones that I agree with. That's not accepting him. That's not accepting his word. That's not loving his commandments and his statutes and his judgments like we ought to. I don't know, that's... Partial obedience is what? Partial obedience is what? Total. It's complete disobedience. We stop saying things like that today. Because everybody's good and everybody's fine. I'm so frustrated as I knock on doors today. And how many people say, when I say, if you died today, are you 100% sure where you'd spend eternity? And people go, "Uh uh-huh. Well, how do you know that? I just know. Well, how do you know it? Well, I... And they don't have a clue. But you know what? They've been taught over these last, this last decade that everybody's allowed to have an opinion. Everybody has a point. Nobody's wrong. Everybody's right. You can't judge me. I can't judge you. Uh, uh, you have to, I have to let you do what you do and embrace you and love you. And no matter what you say or do, it's cool with me. And, and everybody's fine. So everybody's going to heaven no matter what. It don't matter. Are you sure you're going to heaven? Sure I am. I'm as good as anybody else. The only problem is that's not biblical. The Bible's still the answer. And that's choosing, that's not choosing life and good to disregard God's word in this area. That's to choose death and evil. You're not going to even make it to heaven. Well, I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're a wretched sinner just like me. But I'm better than a lot of people I know. It doesn't matter. Your righteousnesses are as filthy rags, the Bible says. There's none that seeketh after God. They've all turned away. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Oh, you might be a good person in the world's eyes, but you're just as sinful as any other human being. You were born in sin. You'll live in sin and die in sin. And may I say as a believer, we may be saved today, but we're fighting that old sinful nature. And we have to make a choice every day of our life to choose life and good or death and evil. And that simple choice is simply this. Will I prioritize the word of God in my life? Will I make this the book that I base my life, my faith, my practice on? Or won't I? It's that simple. Listen, this isn't a flowery message, I know. It's not fun. I'm not doing cartwheels up here. I'm not trying to win you over. My friend, I want you to understand something today. By the authority of the Word of God, you and I to choose. We make a choice every single day of our life which we will live. Life and good or death and evil. Which will it be? It's all based on this, though. 
How much time do you spend in the Word of God every week? How much time do I spend? How serious am I about obeying it? How serious are you about obeying it? I mean, we're all in the same boat here. And we want life and good. We all want that. But we can't have that without this. This book, the Word of God. Why is everything so messed up in my life? Could it be that you have set this down somewhere and neglected it? I'm not saying you don't believe it's the Word of God. I'm not saying you weren't raised in a church. I'm not saying that you're not even saved. I'm asking you, what have you done with the Word of God lately? It's not a matter of me judging you or you judging me. It's about me looking to God and being honest about who and what I'm really all about. What really flips my switch, what really gets my goat, what really moves me. Can I tell you, let's be honest, most of us aren't that awfully motivated by this book anymore. There's so many other things that motivate us and move us. We'd set this down in a minute if there are other needs in our life that are being met somewhere else. And that's dangerous. Because according to the Word of God, to set this book down and not choose the Word of God is to choose death and evil. Oh, I'm not saying that immediately you'll have death and evil. But I guarantee you that you'll not be prolonged in this day as he talks about the children of Israel. Oh, that land, you won't be there forever then. You're going to lose your land. You're going to lose the blessing. You're going to ultimately find curse, the curse. That's, that's horrible thinking about that. How many parents have neglected God's word, neglected God's house, neglected the statutes and the commands and the judgments of God and lost their children to the world? Are your children saved? I, don't, I hope so. Well, they were in church when they were little kids. Are they in church today? No, want nothing to do with it. Well, what, what steps have you taken to make that happen? I mean, have you worked hard at making God's word a priority in your life? Well, I kind of struggle with that. Hey, listen, there's no perfect parents in this room. And there are children that choose to go astray. I get it. But let's not make it easier. Let's make sure that we're choosing life and good and that we make it look good to our children the best we can. Aren't you fed up with the world getting the victories? We sit and we come to church and we say things like, well, you know, sooner or later your kids are all going to go bad. Sooner or later everybody's going to mess up. Sooner or later everybody, blah, 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 blah. Nobody has victory. We don't want victory around us too much because it makes us feel bad about ourselves. Man, let's get some victory going on. Let's see some families triumphing. Let's see some people memorizing Scripture and learning the Word of God. We've got a club here, 50 Club. Man, people are memorizing Scripture through the year. They're learning all 48, we're 48 verses, actually. We call it the 50 Club for some crazy reason. It should be on my list. That's a good thing. That says, I'm prioritizing the Word of God in my life. I'm prioritizing it in my family's life. I want Life and good. 
What are you going to do with the Word of God? And you say, well, I want the Word of God. I just don't want God's house. That's in the Word of God. I want to be part of the church. I just don't want to give. That's part of the Bible. I want to be blessed by the Lord. I just don't want to forgive. You can't. That's part of the Word of God. I mean, we like to pick and choose what we're going to do and how we're going to be blessed. And God's just saying, it's not, it's not, it's not rocket science, folks. He says, love the Lord thy God. Walk in His ways. Keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments. Do things God's way, and you got life and good. It's that simple. You say, you, are, you think you're the only one that's right? Nope. I just know the one that is. Don't listen to me then. Pick this up and look at it yourself. Find the answers in the Word of God. I challenge you, get in there, and if there's something I'm telling you that's wrong, tell me. But hold on. You better be able to use verse in Scripture and not just one or two in the whole Bible and go, see? Just like certain people that believe you have to be baptized to be saved, and they run over to Acts chapter 2, verse 38 all the time. They go, well, yeah, what about the rest of the Bible? Or don't be this Calvinistic thing where you say, well, I believe God just chooses who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. I'm a Calvinist. Okay, well, what verses are you using? Because, my friend, if you're just running to Romans chapter 9, uh, chapter uh, 9, I believe it is, my friend, why don't you look at the rest of the Bible too? Let's take the whole Bible and look at it. We're in the book of Hebrews in our Sunday school. Let me tell you something. Hebrews is a transitional book, and I can guarantee you this. There have been so many false teachers and religions that have come out of Hebrews. You don't rightly divide the word. You come up with anything you want. we got to be careful with that. But can I tell you the way you fix that is get into this book and know it yourself. That way you're not being duped by somebody. We jump on the internet, we listen to preachers and blogsters and everybody else. How do you know what's right and what's wrong? I'll tell you how. This book. And we got to get in the book. I know. I had no idea when I stood up here today what was going to come out of my mouth hardly. Other than I've got four pages of notes. And an introduction that lasted this long. But I can tell you this much. It's not a tough, it's not a tough issue. It's one or the other today. It is simple. It's just like it was with Israel. We choose one or the other, death and evil or life and good. And you know what? When it's all said and done, the thing that stands between it all that makes the difference is that book right there, the Word of God. Nothing else. It's that simple. You're choosing to make God's word a priority and important in your life or you're not. That's what determines the outcome. That's what determines it. What are you going to do with God's word? You young people, you're learning in school all kinds of things. How much time you spend in learning this? This is what will bring you life and good. Oh, I'm going to learn this and this so I can make a lot of money. I'll have a good life and it'll be all good. Yeah, look at our economy, friends. It's going to all come crashing down. I'll tell you what, there's no, there is no consistency in all of that mess. But this is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is Jesus Christ. It's going to last. You'll always find hope and help 
you'll always find success and good in this book. And that's true in our lives as adults. They said, I read an article, yeah, lumber's down 48%. Have you built anything lately? It might be down 48% from the highest point of last year. But my friend, it is so sky high right now, it's out of, out of this world. And with interest rates rising, guess what? Builders aren't getting asked to build as many houses now. Oh, we are going to be enjoying things here in the next few years. And I'm going to tell you something. The one thing I want is life and good. I can have that whether the government falls to pieces. I can have that whether my nation is alive and well or on its way down the tubes. I can have life and good because that promise comes from God and He's big enough to deliver. And I'm going to choose this. What will you choose? Who will you choose? I love you. I'm burdened. I am very burdened over the condition of our nation and over the condition of people. It's getting worse all the time in my heart. And I honestly do not know all the answers except to say he is the answer. Man, there's so many things. And I I just want to encourage you to, to not look to anyone or anything but him for the real joy and peace and purpose in your life. Because everything and everyone else will let you down. But he'll never let you down. Oh yeah, he'll permit things in your life that are uncomfortable, no doubt. But he will be there for you all the way. God help us today to choose life and good. To choose life and good. To choose the word of God and to love him who gave it to us. Do you know Christ is your savior? Man, that's the first step. Get saved today.